Our scripture reading for the Sunday is from Genesis 4, 17 to, uh, through 26. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehujel, and Mehujel was the father of Methusel, and Methusel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Okay, good to see everyone. Um, we arrive at the fifth and final message from Genesis 4 uh, on the theme of control. Uh, to date, we've uh, talked about the innate human desire to control our own lives, our environments, and even people uh, around us. Uh, we saw in Cain what loss of control looks like, first falling out of favor with God, and then abandoning self-control altogether uh, in the brutal premeditated slaying of Abel. We examined how much pain, damage Cain inflicted, even beyond Abel, and then considered damage control. Uh, measures taken by God to protect the sanctity of Eden and all of human life, even that of Cain's. God controlled the fallout to extend mercy and give an opportunity for his repentance, uh, not in the least through a mark placed on him to prevent blood vengeance. Cain's damage, on the other hand, uh, damage control, on the other hand, amounted to self-absorption and self-preservation, epitomized by the construction of a fortified city to keep out uh, the invaders and the unwelcome. On this slide, uh, we have the dates, verses, and titles that we've covered. Um, so today's uh, October 3rd entry is a familiar phrase, right? Control freaks. Uh, we might hear uh, or use about ourselves or others. Um, a control freak is someone who overreaches in their sphere of authority or influence, often demanding inordinate uh, power over how things are done, who does it, and when. 
control freaks are usually hard to work with, um, fail at delegation, and often take uh, complete credit for any success, not acknowledging the contribution of others. Now, I don't know if the characters in our story were micromanager types who insisted on dominating their circles like a true control freak, uh, but it's clear that they were wildly successful at their chosen endeavors. Their advancements in civilization were historically remarkable. Now, in that sense, uh, they were able to freakishly, freakishly control their skills, resources, and livelihoods to found not just one, but several areas of technological progress. I think it could be described as a kind of a revolution right? in material culture and labor specialization, introducing societal innovations uh, and methods. Now, these are certainly not evil inventions uh, and improper uses of human creativity and time. They can be wonderful things and lead to fulfilling experiences. But again, the key here is that um, their activities, their expertise um, were engaged as a substitute as a replacement for a relationship uh, with God. They displaced God as the primary focus. And we see that even in our culture, in our day, there's so much expertise, there's so much skill, there's so much advancement, so much progress. But what have we lost? What has our society, what have people lost uh, in the process? Although the great things that these men did uh, are notable. It was all from one family, right? Um, the three sons of Lamech uh, permanently established the family's reputation as titans of industry and commerce. But again, what was lost uh, in the process? What is lost in our process as well? Uh, because of their similar sounding names, I thought it would be helpful to list everything on one slide. So I, I just pronounced it Jabel. Uh, he was kind of nomadic herdsman. He developed that, um, that kind of business, that kind of commerce. Uh, Jubal uh, founded music and with this many enjoyments. And then Tubal Cain, uh, metallurgy, right? And that, of course, is uh, so important for life. Um, extraordinary abilities indeed, freaks of control, um, and freaks of ambition probably too. Um, ambition usually follows this kind of success or precedes it. And they seem to have all inherited this from their mutual father Lamech. He was a man of means, who imposed his will on others. Uh, it's easy to bridge, I think, his alpha personality uh, to the ascendancy of his sons. 
several details from the passage support this view. Lamech is the first to have multiple wives. Morally, a rather dubious distinction, he marries two women and has uh, numerous children uh, through them. Then we find Lamech boasting to those wives of how he was the more formidable and more ferocious version of Cain. Lamech doubly draws their attention by saying, listen to me and hear my words. He confesses to the killing of two men, both who offended or caused uh, injury to him, perhaps during the same altercation. This is no statement of self-defense. Lamech taught those boys and anyone else who might dare slight him a frightening lesson. Let everyone quake in fear when Lamech enters the room. Show him disrespect and he will show you pain and death. Uh, Lamech basically admits his actions were much more egregious than Cain's. If God had to protect Cain by putting a sign on him so that people would be warned that sevenfold vengeance would follow the killing of Cain, then Lamech is super confident that his actions warranted a 77-fold act, act of bloodshed. It is this kind of self-assertion and human pride that characterizes Lamech's way uh, and choices. The text um, comes crashing back on us from the feel-good nature of the cultural progress of Jubal Jubal and Tubal Cain to the song of Lamech, um, a song of boastful triumph, which is also known as the song of the sword. Lamech is a serial, serial killer with no compunction whatsoever. Imagine uh, Ada and Zilla his wives, uh, listening with horror at his braggadocio. And while this kind of power and uh, this kind of prowess might be attractive to some, in God's sight, uh, it is to be rejected. And rejected he does. The posing and the positioning of Cain and his ilk come tumbling down uh, several chapters later in Genesis when the cataclysmic flood wipes out all of mankind, save Noah's family. The Lord finally puts an end to human control gone wild. That which was untethered to God, desirous of ultimate self-determination. If you read that account, God wearily and sorrowfully extinguishes control freakdom, showing us that at bottom, we are mere creatures. We did not create ourselves. We don't have that power. We don't have that control. We are derivative. We are finite. We are dependent. 
and we are really not in control. So as David prayed, some of the lies that I think uh, we feed on is that I can control my own environment. I can control my own family. I can control my own future, my destiny, my career, my health. And uh, I think if there's anything that the pandemic can teaches, teaches us is that no, we're not. But the Bible, uh, especially Genesis 4, I think has been saying this uh, loud and clear for a long, long time. Uh, narratively speaking, our passage uh, presages this final judgment uh, on the Kenite or Cain, right? They, they, they say it's, you say Kenite, K-E-N-I-T, Kenite line. In verse 25, by turning abruptly away from Cain's progeny and retracing back to the gaping hole um, left by the murder of Abel. The line of Cain kind of passes into oblivion. We don't, there's no longer a direct tracing there in terms of genealogy. And suddenly we're back to Adam and Eve. Um, there's an air of gloom that pervades the murder, uh, it pervades the chapter, but I think it concludes, chapter four concludes on a rather hopeful note. Uh, God grants Adam and Eve a third son, whom they named Seth. And the couple see uh, Seth as the new Abel, as a new Abel, a ray of hope in their dark and grief-stricken world. Um, eventually, uh, humankind is generate, regenerated through, the, through Seth's uh, descendants. But not only is he a ray of hope for Adam and Eve, I would argue that Seth turns out to be a ray of hope for God's view of the increasingly dark and grief-stricken world as well. Seth is the antidote to Lamech. Whereas Lamech was all about himself and what he did and what he could do and what his sons could do, Seth's curriculum vitae is uh, scant and boring. There is only one note, notable thing about Seth and his posterity, but it, you know, spiritually speaking, turns out to be a doozy. Uh, verse 26 reports that Seth, along with his son Enosh, and uh, Seth, along with his son Enosh, um, they began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to call on the name of the Lord. Such a simple phrase, right? But it's profound. Um, the description is succinct, yet poignant. Uh, Seth and Enosh, they didn't have any breakthroughs in labor or production. They don't have artistic chops to speak of. 
they're not greatly feared like Lamech. We know nothing about their wives. All they did was call upon the name of the Lord. That was their distinction. That was their specialty, uh, if you will. And as you can imagine, my encouragement and exhortation to myself and all of us is that that should be our specialty. When people look at us, when people think of us, when people refer to us, they should know that we call upon the name of the Lord. That should be us. That should be our description. That should be clear. That should be obvious. Oh, that brother, that guy, that family, that church, oh, they call upon the name of the Lord. They don't have much, nothing much else, right? They're kind of ordinary, maybe underachievers. <laughs> That's okay. Yet they call upon the name of the Lord. I think the contrast uh, of it all is quite striking, stark uh, in this uh, entire chapter. Uh, to call upon the Lord um, is uh, kind of a, a blanket term for worship. Right? It um, continues through the line of Seth. Uh, for example, in chapter 5, it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. Kind of cryptic, but uh, most people understand that as Enoch was so close to God, he didn't physically die. God took him directly to heaven as he did Elijah. And then you have chapter 6, Noah. Noah walked uh, with God, even though everyone else chose to live for themselves, right? The description is rather chilling that every inclination of the hearts, the people were only evil all the time, like a triple whammy, right? Every inclination, only evil all the time, except Noah, because he was busy calling on the name of the Lord. When God told him to build an ark for all to see and laugh at, Noah obliged and complied. He knew that he could not control their reactions. He knew that he could not control the world, could not control the flood that was coming. He only knew that he could control whether he obeyed God or not, whether he called upon the name of the Lord or not. It's not a desirable position all the time, but it's the only one that Noah, that, that defined Noah. And as I'm saying, should define us yeah through the sojourns of the patriarchs abraham isaac jacob the same phrase is used that they called upon the name of the lord they worshiped god at regularly and at certain emphases right in their journeys and then all the way to for example romans 10 13 where paul really caps it and says Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? Oh, I, I wanted to, I took a picture, I'm like old guy thing, but I took a picture during worship because Marge and Jerry and Jabin led us in a song, right? The, the second song, that chorus, I know I'm weak, 
I know I'm unworthy to call upon your name, but because of grace, because of your mercy, I stand here unashamed, right? I know I'm weak. Yeah. I know I'm unworthy. Yeah. But you allow me, you invite me, you command me, you, you welcome uh, when I call upon the name of the Lord. Yeah. Salvation left the Kenite line and followed Seth, Enosh, Enoch, Noah, etc. Through this act, through this act of control, right? Calling upon the name of the Lord. Uh, to call upon the name of the Lord and is an acknowledgement that we are not ultimately in control. It's to live, I'm going to read this because I'll get stuck, I'll get confused if I don't. It's to live under God. It's to worship him with the fat of the firstborn of our flock. It's to control alt delete when our voracious sin is clawing at our door. It is to know the right and to do the right and therefore be favored by God. To call upon the Lord is to keep our brothers and sisters acknowledging that I don't have control over them, that I can't do with them what I please. I am bound with them, I am bound to them. Their life is my life. Their blood is my blood. To call upon the name of the Lord is to accept God's discipline and punishment and even curses, which are designed to bring me back to him, like run to him. Uh, it's to wander back to him and not hold myself up in an insular fortress, insisting on ruling my own domain. It is to strip my life of distractions and ambitions successes and masteries that keep me from God. To call on the name of the Lord is to remember that it is the best usage of the control, of, uh, usage of control that I ever uh, can have. So the Sethite line uh, begins to yield back control of their lives to the God who created them and grace them uh, with life and the ability to control life in the first place. And hallelujah, right? Chapter four concludes with a return to the Adamite origins when the first person walked with God in fellowship and trust. And as I've outlined that relational motif continued, right? That's what distinguished the people of God. And that's what has to, I think, distinguish us now. If we want any accomplishment, if we want any badge of honor, if we want any real control in our lives, um, it's through um, this precious, this amazing, this life transformative, life defining phrase, right? Experience, action, obedience, conduct, to call, calling on the name of the Lord. So here we are, uh, end of the sermon, close of the chapter, uh, but hopefully not a, a cessation of the theme, right? The theme goes on. We're still, we have to wrestle with the idea of control, right? Especially now, I think, where we're butting up against um, all of the, deprivation, I keep thinking that word, that the pandemic has done, right, for ourselves, for our loved ones, for the world. Um, there's uh, so much that 
I think we want to kind of regain uh, uh, our kind of control over. And to the extent that that is from the Lord, I think that's good. But I don't want us to like overreach, overcompensate, like force things. Right? Uh, maybe it's right. Maybe it's helpful. Maybe it's necessary that we learn this huge lesson in uh, lack of control, powerlessness, right? So that, you know, for us, for the Christian, for uh, every person here, uh, when we think of control, right, what we're really thinking about is calling, calling on the Lord. Let's do that now. Let's do it in prayer. Uh, let's do it in worship. Let's do it in Reflection, call on the name of the Lord. Father, thank you for a chance to spend some time in this um, challenging and disturbing uh, chapter of the book of Genesis. Um, it's more than just uh, a sad story, a tragic tale. It's more than just a, a description of some of the qualities or some of the darkness of human nature. Uh, it really uh, is defining uh, for us uh, what kind of life we will pursue, what kind of self-understanding we will have, what kind of relationship we will seek, how we will get uh, along in this world. Cain and Enoch and uh, Lamech and... Uh, to make it happen, even if it means destroying property, destroying relationships, destroying people. Spare us, Lord, of that kind of uh, freakish control. Spare us of doing things that are driven by uh, the sinful nature in us. Thank you for ending this story, though, uh, with a lifeline, 
the lifeline of humility, the lifeline of dependence, uh, lifeline of prayer. Lord, today I ask that we can renew what it means to call upon you in a world that's gone haywire around us in our lives that so um, struggle with uh, wanting to take over, help us to uh, step back and ask, Lord, for you to lead us. You may call us to do challenging things. You may call us to do big things. You may call us to do influential and powerful things. But Lord, help us to discern that. Help us to hear that uh, in our prayer, in our worship, in our devotion uh, to you. Help us to uh, belong to the line of Seth. Uh, make that our confession today. Make that our commitment uh, today. We thank you for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.